0: And welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up tomorrow, our series of Conversations with the Candidates continues with former Baltimore City Councilwoman Shannon Sneed. She's making her second run in the Democratic primary for Baltimore City Council president. Shannon Sneed will be my guest tomorrow here on Midday. And now a conversation about juvenile justice. What's the best way to deal with kids who commit crimes? In recent years, the Maryland General Assembly has passed several juvenile justice reform measures, some of which are being reconsidered this year after questions have been raised by law enforcement officials and others. My guests are two women who represent organizations that are part of the Maryland Youth Justice Coalition. Alice Wilkerson is the executive director of Advance Maryland, a nonprofit that helps other nonprofits with their advocacy efforts, and she joins me here In Studio A. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming in.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And Emily Virgin is the Director of Advocacy and Government Relations for Human Rights for Kids. That's an organization that focuses on children's rights. And she joins us on Zoom from Washington, D.C. Hi, Emily. Welcome.
2: Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me.
0: And listeners, you are welcome to join us as well. Our number here, 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wypr.org. Um, so, Alice, you talk about in this report, uh, and you and Emily are, you know, represent organizations that are part of this Maryland Youth Justice Coalition about facts and fears uh, informing decisions about juvenile justice. Um, what concerns you? What fears uh, concern you, or what facts do you think are either misunderstood or ignored in the debate about juvenile justice?
1: Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest things is that facts are being ignored or just not understood. So we have a lot of facts about, first, how the system actually works. What does it actually mean to hold kids accountable? What's the best way to do that? um, And the fact, the big fact, that... um, Crimes committed by kids have been going down steadily since um, 1997. We've had over a 75% drop in the number of kids that are being arrested um, and crimes that are being, you know, conducted by kids. So that's one of the misperceptions. There is a feeling that there's some big crime wave that's being driven by kids right now, and that's simply not true.
0: And Emily, uh, in terms of The national scene, I mean, the the, the crime rate uh, going down, the murder rate going down, the non-fatal shooting uh, rate going down is not uh, specific just to Baltimore. There's a lot of cities that can point to that, uh, as well as juvenile crime generally going down. Um, Where does Maryland stand in the the panoply uh, of the United States in terms of their approach, their strategic uh, statutory approach to juvenile crime?
2: Well, Tom, in 2020, Human Rights for Kids, in our annual state ratings report, we ranked Maryland as one of the worst human rights offenders for children who come into contact with the criminal justice system. Because of the reforms that were passed in the next couple of years, we actually recognized Maryland as the most improved state in 2022. And that was because of these reforms that really brought Maryland in line uh, with international human rights standards and what we know works best here in America from other states that have had these practices on the books for a long time. So Maryland is not an outlier when it comes to what you're speaking about already with Alice, the crime rate. We've seen, um, you know, certain types of juvenile crime when it comes to um, the, the effects of COVID. That had an effect, as we know, on everyone, but especially our children. And so we did see a spike in in crime during that period of time and some specific types of crime, but what we really focus on is how do we best serve the children who are coming into contact with law enforcement, with juvenile services. And when it comes to Maryland, what we know is that we need to strengthen those services so that children never come into contact with the criminal justice system in the first place.
0: And uh, Alice, your report recommends restoring services uh, that have been cut. Give us a a sense of what kinds of services were cut, who cut them, uh, how long have they been cut, uh, and what would it take to restore them?
1: Yeah, this is something that um, Secretary Schiraldi, the current secretary of um, the Department of Juvenile Services, mentioned recently at a press conference. Um, We have seen, we saw a um, substantial um, decrease in funding for DJS over about the last decade. Um, I don't know if it began right at the end of the O'Malley administration, but certainly throughout it. The Hogan administration continual cuts year after year, um, the department. Um not spending money that was actually in its budget. This wasn't money that, like, wasn't budgeted in the first place or the state didn't have. But we're talking about funds that were budgeted for DJS that DJS did not spend and returned back to the general fund year after year after year. And the reason that that they were able to do that was because they were um, cutting the types of services and programs that we actually know work and are the best way of serving kids. So one example of this um, are the youth service bureaus, and we used to have um, 22 youth service bureaus throughout the state. Today, we have seven. Six of those are located in Prince George's County. One is in Carroll County, but we used to have 22 across the state. Um, So there's
0: no youth service bureau in the city of Baltimore?
1: Correct. Correct. Um, And these are programs that work. So it's a center where literally law enforcement, um, instead of arresting a kid, they have a kid, they're in trouble, something happened, they've come into contact with law enforcement. Law enforcement could, instead of arresting them, walk them into a youth service bureau where they were immediately connected with counselors who would work with them and their families and connect them to other services, maybe substance use treatment um, services would be warranted. But they would provide those services services right then and there and then have them come back to receive those services in those centers. So not just like a referral out and we hope that the kid shows up somewhere, but like these were services that were available um, when you walked in the front door. And again, those have been cut. um, I know that the youth services, youth service bureaus are seeking 2.4 million to restore those services, um, but that's just one example of many of our community-based services that were cut.
0: Alice Wilkerson is here with me in Studio A. She's part of the Maryland Youth Justice Coalition. Emily Virgin is with us from Washington, D.C. on Zoom. She's also part of the coalition. They've published a report called What's Best for Kids is Best for Everyone. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall, 410-662-8780, and our email midday at wipr.org. So, Emily, there are folks who are listening to this saying, uh, oh, it's, you know, offering kids services after they've done some Uh, terrible thing. Uh, Some of the kids are even doing things that uh, are, are particularly violent. There has been a spike uh, in carjackings by uh, juveniles, there have been a spike. Uh, there's been a spike here in Baltimore uh, in 2023. Even though the number of murders went down, the number of murders of kids under the age of 18 went up considerably. Um, when when folks here, well, you know, you take a, a child who's been involved in that kind of activity and you uh, offer him or her services, um, that is not. Uh, holding that child accountable for, you know, really bad, detestable behavior. Where is the the accountability uh, if uh, the kid is not going to be, you know, subjected to to a a punishment for uh, what that kid has, has done?
2: Well, Tom, I think it's important to talk about kids and the differences between kids and adults. And anyone who has a child or a teenager at home, they understand that their brains are not fully developed. We see that um, with raising children day in and day out. And the same holds true for children who come into contact with the criminal justice system. And so when we talk about accountability, that can look different for kids. Accountability for children is not just incarcerating them or holding them in some sort of cell. Accountability for children helps them understand what they did, how that behavior affected other people and how they can refrain from doing that in the future. And that's something that we should all want. Our our ultimate outcome should be that we want this child to not engage in this behavior again. And what we know is that by simply you know, engaging in this, um, in this sort of traditional punitive model of locking a child up, it simply doesn't work for children when we look at the recidivism rates. What we have to do with children if we want them to be rehabilitated um, and understand not to engage in this type of behavior, again, is a different type of service than what we generally see for adults. And we also have to hold the systems accountable for providing the services and the supports that children and their families need. That's what Alice was just talking about. The system has largely failed children for several years now by not having these services that will ensure that children don't um, engage in this sort of behavior again. And it's also important to note that children who are engaging in some of these types of crimes, they're doing so as a reaction to high rates of childhood trauma, to poverty, to lack of educational supports. And so we need to ensure that our children have the tools that they need to succeed, whether it's before or after they come into contact with the criminal justice system.
0: And Alice, you make uh, the point uh, repeatedly in this report uh, that the data shows that the incarceration uh, route, uh, the strategy of simply incarcerating children, taking them out of their communities, out of their schools, out of society, and sequestering them uh, in a in an incarceral uh, situation just doesn't work. That there's uh, higher rates of recidivism for the kids who've been treated that way as opposed to the kids who have been treated uh, in a more holistic way.
1: Yes, precisely. Um, you know, if incarceration worked, like I'll tell you, Maryland's already really good at incarcerating kids. Um, we, in fact, are incarcerate more kids um, as adults in Maryland. Um, than on- there are only three other states that incarcerate more kids as adults um, compared to Maryland. So we're already really good at incarcerating kids. If that worked, then we would all feel safer right now. Um, that's simply not the case. And so one of the things we know about recidivism, we have data actually today Um, that can point to prior to these reforms being passed and after the reforms being passed. And that's one of the um, things in our report. You know, the year before the reforms were passed, recidivism um, for kids um, was at 32 percent. After the reforms were passed, it dropped to 11 percent. So the reforms that were enacted, um, these really do Work and we've already seen immediate results from it. At the same time, um, the Department of Juvenile Services has also had more referrals to DJS. So it's not because kids aren't coming to DJS; they, those referrals are being made, and they're being made at a higher rate than they were before um, the reforms were passed. But we can see is the success of this type of approach.
0: Alice Wilkerson and Emily Virgin are part of the Maryland Youth Justice Coalition. We'll have more on public safety and juvenile justice on the other side of a quick break. You are welcome to join us. Our number here at Midday, 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at org. And before we go to our break, each week here on Midday, it's our practice to read the names of the people who have lost their lives to violence in Baltimore City and to list their names on the midday webpage. We do so to stand in witness to their untimely deaths and to remember their families and friends in their hour of grief. So far this year, 14 people have been identified as victims of homicide in our city. Malachi Carter Bay, age 39, was killed the week before last. Police have identified two people. Who were killed in our city last week they are dequan thomas age 28 and saran o'neill he was six years old it's midday i'm tom hall we'll be right back
1: You're listening to Baltimore's
0: NPR News Station. Member support at 88.1 WYPR. Welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you've just joined us, we're talking about juvenile justice and best practices for dealing with young people who commit crimes to help those kids find a different path and make the public Safer. My guests are Emily Virgin and Alice Wilkerson. They represent organizations that are part of the Maryland Youth Justice Coalition, which has just issued a report which makes policy recommendations and which seeks to dispel misinformation about juvenile crime. You are welcome to join us. If you have a question or comment for our guests, our number here at Midday, 410-662-8780, or email midday at WYPR. So, Alice, this week, uh, as I understand it, on Wednesday, there's going to be a a proposal to uh, revise in some way what's called the JJRA, the Juvenile Justice Restoration Act. Tell us what the act currently says uh, and tell us uh, for the the folks who uh, oppose some of the provisions of that law what they want to change.
1: So um the Juvenile Justice Restoration Act is it's a really comprehensive bill it does a lot of things um and this was actually created after um several years of the um Juvenile juvenile Justice the Juvenile Justice Restoration Commission. So there was a commission that met. It had a lot of people on it. It had representatives from um, the department, representatives from the Office of the Public Defender um, state's attorneys were there. Law enforcement were there. We had several legislators who were part of this. Um, We had research was presented um, they met frequently um, they had lots of presentations on what all of the research was and best practices and really they were supposed to look at like what reforms needed to be made to um, Maryland's juvenile system interestingly they didn't they were not sh- tasked with looking at the best way to serve kids just to be really clear about that it was how can we make the system work better? better. And through that process um, was this legislation that came out of all of those recommendations that were passed unanimously. And so, um, interestingly enough, we have seen that there were members of that commission who voted in favor of these recommendations who now say that they oppose some of those provisions. One of the main provisions that we do hear a lot about is we actually established a floor for arresting kids in in the state. And so the floor is now um, 13. There are some exceptions for um, crimes of violence. So a 10 to 12-year-old can still be arrested um, for a crime of violence. But if it's not a crime of violence, then you have to be 13 um, in order for that child to be arrested. And if you are under 10, you cannot be arrested. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that can still be done with that kid. And I think that's one of the things that we hear a lot of misinformation about. Um, We have heard law enforcement say, we can't arrest a 12-year-old. And we've seen a lot of chatter, um, you know, on maybe a neighborhood lister of where people have been told, like, they can't arrest a kid. They couldn't do anything about this. Police wouldn't even, you know, investigate a situation. There's nothing in the law that prevents that from happening. Um, a kid can actually still be referred to the Department of Juvenile Services for services. It just means that they can't be arrested and put through that process because, um you know, we know that um, it's, a, it's a damaging process to kids. We are inflicting trauma on them. You know, a 10-year-old, we had in this state 5-year-olds, 6-year-olds um, that were having handcuffs put on them, handcuffs that don't even fit them because we don't make handcuffs that small because we shouldn't be arresting 6- six- and 7-year-olds and putting them in the back of a police car. So, you know, we established this floor, which, um, you know, our floor now is 10 for a crime of violence, 13 um, for any crime. And um, I believe the international standards for human rights says um, it's 13 or 14. So really, like, this is not a radical idea.
0: Mm -hmm. If a 10 or 11 year old Emily Virgin uh, commits a, a serious crime, why not arrest him and scare him? I mean, what about the, the scared straight philosophy that, you know, when I was growing up, they, they showed us uh, films of people in prison, uh, prisoners uh, screaming at high school kids who were my age saying, you know, if you do the, what I did, you'll end up here and here's, here's a terrible thing. Uh, and it scared everybody. And uh, they all, you know, left the screening of the film saying, oh, I'll never do that. Um, that, that philosophy, I take it, has changed according to the data. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's quite a difference between showing a child a film to scare them and actually putting them in handcuffs and putting them in the back of a police car. You know, as Alice said, international human rights standards ask that we not arrest anyone under the age of 14. And that's because, number one, it is a human rights violation. But number two, because we know that putting a child in handcuffs who might still believe in Santa Claus does not accomplish anything positive. What it does is tell that child um, that they are going into a system because they're a criminal. And the child will believe you. And there will will be, you know, attempts made um, to reform the behavior of that child, but once you brand them as a criminal, it's really hard for a child to shake that brand. And if we want children to be rehabilitated, to go back to the community and behave in a way that is safe for the rest of their community. We know that putting them in handcuffs and incarcerating them is not the way to do that. So that's why Things have shifted across the country. And as Maryland, as as Alice said, Maryland is by no means an outlier when it comes to setting a minimum age of prosecution. States across the country, red and blue, set minimum ages of prosecution in recognition that someone who's under 10 is simply too young to be prosecuted in the criminal legal system. They can't assist in their defense, in their defense, excuse me. And they, they really don't respond, they don't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, if we want if we want them to be back in their communities, not uh, engaging in this behavior, we know that we have to take a different track.
0: Uh, we have a call from Delegate John Carden. Delegate Carden, thanks for calling. Uh, we are at the end of our time. We only have about 30 seconds left. What's your quick comment? Real quick, uh, one of the comments made earlier in the show was that uh, Jim. Juvenile- crime is down 75%, and one of the issues that we have, and we've heard testimony on this all all over the interim, is that we're just not getting the data from law enforcement because they're choosing not to necessarily uh, deal with the younger children or even the older children um, because of a lot of the red tape they have to go through. The question is, how do we make sure that our data is actually correct so that we know how to solve or we can solve these problems, is somebody who wants
1: to look at progressive ways of trying to... Okay.
0: All right. Thank you for the call, Delegate. And you got 10 seconds to answer the Delegate's question.
1: Yeah. I believe that we need to hold our systems accountable in the same way that we want to hold kids accountable. We need to absolutely be holding our systems accountable. And I hope that that is what the legislature is going to be focusing on this session, is holding the system as accountable as we want kids to be.
0: That's Alice Wilkerson. She's the Executive Director of Advance Maryland. Emily Virgin is the Director of Advocacy and Government Relations for Human Rights for Kids. Thanks to you both. I appreciate it. They are both members of the Maryland Youth Justice Coalition. By the way, Jews for United, or Jews United for Justice, rather, a group of 18 congregations and organizations around the state are hosting a number of events this week, which they've designated Youth Justice Shabbat and Solidarity Week. Tomorrow night at Am Synagogue in Reservoir Hill, they're sponsoring a panel discussion that includes the Maryland Department of Juvenile Services Secretary Vincent Schiraldi and several other folks discussing this issue. That's it for us today. Tomorrow, we continue our series of conversations with the candidates. My guest will be Shannon Sneed. She's running to be the president of the City Council here in Baltimore. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for listening. have a great day This is Baltimore's NPR news station. Member supported 881 WYPR.